Welcome to the DE Talk podcast. Tune in for dialogue between HR experts to amp up your HR strategies. Don't worry, we'll mix in a few laughs as we know you need it. Welcome to the DE Talk podcast. I'm Candy Chambers with Direct Employers Association. With 2021 in the books, we're looking ahead at what federal contractors can expect in 2022 and what curveballs may be lurking around the corner. Here joining me today, I have John C. Fox of Fox Wang & Morgan, resident employment law expert and longtime DE partner. If you read our weekly blog post, the OFCCP Week in Review, you know that vaccination mandates have taken over as employers, states, and OSHA go head to head. And while this remains a huge topic of discussion across the board, we have so much other news to cover. So let's dive in. Gosh, John, in nine days, Joe Biden will have been president for one year. And Jenny Yang will also celebrate her first year as the OFCCP director. It was a year of OFCCP slowly getting comfortable with itself as staffing and budget challenges beset the agency. COVID-19 kept the OFCCP workplace out of the office as OFCCP joined the 43% of the federal government, which worked from home, as all the while the agency played wrecking ball to rid itself of all things Trump. We reported on that constantly in our in our uh, week in review. I think we we called it a couple different things, a flip-flop meter, and we changed that because of some people not really liking that terminology, but it, it basically was that. Um, we kept going back and forth, I guess, is, is a better way of, of describing it. So, John, as the Biden OFCCP now begins the fifth full month of the first full fiscal year it is planned, budgeted for, and led, what do you see coming down the pike at OFCCP for the remaining seven and a half months of OFCCP's fiscal year 2022? Well, Candy, thanks for having me. Uh, this is a great topic. And, you know, Jenny Yang has fought a very slow motion delay and delousing action, as I'll call it, uh, since taking uh, uh, office uh, trying to uh, uh, undo everything that was Trump. That's a, a government-wide initiative, not limited to OCCP. But most of the regulatory, most of the policy decision-making has been just what I'll call defensive, just playing defensive volleyball, stopping what uh, is coming over the net uh, at the, the Biden administration, uh, just turning back everything to where it was as uh, President Obama left office. And a new thing happened here that uh, has made this more pronounced. We haven't quite seen this ever before in modern uh, history. And that is, as the Trump administration left office, it littered the freeway with all kinds of obstacles for the Biden administration to spend their precious first year in office. Uh, it's always precious to every new incoming president because that's when they've got their mandate from the people and they can take action. But uh, the Republicans typically are just content to be satisfied that they manage the government well under their tutelage, and they don't typically try to leave legacy uh, obligations or to obstruct the incoming administration. But the Trump guys did, and they left a lot of debris, and you're seeing the agencies one by one go about the task of turning it back. Uh, but keep in mind as to this slow motion delay issue uh, that all levels of government, from towns uh, to cities to counties to state governments to the federal government, have all been operating as though they're they're just working in jello. They're just 
uh, embedded in a, a mass of jello and moving slowly <laughs> and their sound is and their voices and their actions are muted. Uh, an OCCP is no exception. The state and federal agencies just do not have the electronic systems to work remote like most of the private sector white-collar workforce has been able to do with great success. I mean, you hear from almost every client, every member, their revenues are up, their profits are up. Uh, they, they've done well during the uh, pandemic. If you're manufacturing and you got to go sit at a job or have a restaurant or some retail service, you've been hurt. But if you're a white-collar remote worker, uh, this has been a, a very good time, but not for the federal uh, government. But it's not uh, unique. It's just uh, uh, what has occurred. And state and federal agencies have slowed to a crawl everywhere you look. Just this week, the IRS announced, for example, that it is woefully understaffed following the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic and that tax returns would take a long time to process uh, this tax season and refunds will be slow. <laughs> my this husband, is a sure way to, yeah. My, my husband last night was on the news and he said, well, I guess we won't. It doesn't really affect us because we haven't had a refund in a long time. <laughs> I was like, yeah, really. But they did say that people will get interest, thank goodness. My daughter actually um, had to wait over a year for her refund um, a year ago. So. Everywhere you look, it, it, the immigration service, processing, uh, uh, visas, uh, anybody uh, trying to go to a courthouse, gosh, uh, they don't even serve the complaints now for four or five, six weeks often. Uh, but not uh, sending back tax returns on an expedited basis is a sure way to anger Americans with our uh, fascination with taxes. Uh, but no one in the federal government intends that, but that's the reality that's unfolding uh, in this understaffed federal government, which is operating very awkwardly and in slow motion. The other thing that's key to managing in the COVID-19 pandemic which I think the federal government has been very, very slow to pick up on just generally, uh, is that it requires a different kind of manager than we have trained and brought up through the ranks uh, historically. The COVID-19 manager obviously has to be innovative, has to be ready to quickly pivot and make work appealing to his or her workforce, since we, we now have 4 million Americans that have left the workforce purposely and consciously. You've got millions of jobs coursing through the NLX pipe at DE every day, and uh, they are going unfilled uh, as, uh, you know, we see the the um, number of jobs being filled only hovering around 200,000 a month. Uh, if they just took all the jobs that uh, DE has available, you could fill 2 million tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, that's not what's happening. you got to find ways to lure people to want to come into work. Um, the successful COVID-19 manager we've seen in the private sector has to have the courage to break with tradition and find a way to make uh, uh, a way forward. Uh, uh, OCCP managers are just uh, learning this now, but they've got to pivot and they've got to make it uh, appealing uh, as you've done so successfully, uh, for example, at direct employers. I mean, you've done a lot of things differently that I think two years ago you would have never done. I mean, you were a staunch opponent of uh, remote work, and look how you quickly pivoted and embraced it uh, to and, and made it work. Um, but managing in this environment is a challenge, you know, for any organization, since we just have not trained managers for what has unfolded. And uh, I think that's going to continue to haunt uh, the federal government uh, and the Labor Department until they start getting innovated and uh, 
figure out how to work in this environment. It's not just a two or three week tunnel like we thought in March of 2020. We're, we're now coming up on two years and uh, probably more successive waves of uh, variants. So that's the, the new reality. But you got to keep morphing with each wave after wave of depressing COVID-19 news. And I think the uh, four watchwords uh, for managers these days is resilience, innovation, what I'd call positivity, and connectedness. As we're getting farther scattered, uh, we've got to be more and more uh, connected. But that's what's driving successful organizations. And uh, I don't see a lot of that discussion going on in the federal government. Uh, they're, they're not uh, finding the way to lure people to work, and almost every federal agency is understaffed at this point. For its part, OSCCP's three main missions to date uh, in the almost year of this uh, first uh, Biden OSCCP administration has been to do three things. Uh, undo everything Trump, as you mentioned. Uh, that's the delousing mission of OSCCP uh, that leadership there perceives it needs to undertake and undertake first. And that will continue, as I'll specifically mention in a moment. Uh, there's still... Uh, things to undo from the Trump world in the mind of the OCCP managers uh, in Washington. Then number two, they need to hire up to deal with a fleeing workforce like everybody uh, these days. OCCP is authorized, as you know, to 451 employees, uh, which, by the way, is a very small number. When I was helping to run OCCP, uh, I had 1,000 people reporting every day, and I had 400 alone reporting to me in Washington, D.C., through four different uh, uh, fully-fueled uh, divisions uh, in, in the, the national office. You know, John, but they felt a fewer, yeah. What's really interesting about that is that there have got to be so many more federal government contractors today and less than half of the total number of employees that are overseeing the regulatory requirements of those of that larger number of contractors which right there tells you how difficult that is, plus all of the additional regulatory requirements that they have to undertake, the, the contractor community. So, I mean... Yes, you're, you're, you're quite right, Candy. I mean, federal contracting has been uh, increasing as the federal budget has been exploding in size over the last uh, 25 years. And uh, as we've used the government contracting mechanism uh, also as a way to fuel the economy. <clears throat> Uh, it's another device to help uh, invigorate uh, economic growth. It's been a, a key strategy. But, but OCCP has fallen last year to fewer than 400 employees. They were hovering around there and then dipped below for a bit. And so they're, they're hiring back right now, but they're not adding to stock, if you will. They're just uh, doing replacement uh, hiring and still have a long way to go. And uh, they're fighting a very difficult battle, too, because the morale is very low at the agency, and uh, a lot of uh, people are very much looking forward to retirement. This is going to be a big year of retirements at OSCCP, it appears, just because of the age of the managers and the duration of time they've been in the federal government, uh, and they all want to get out. District director after district director tells me they literally count the days down <laughs> until they can uh, retire. Uh, it's not what you like to hear if you're a manager of those managers, but exactly. it's the reality that's on the table. And the third thing uh, that OCCP has been out to do, uh, and they've stated this very 
clearly and very candidly uh, that they want to get a plan to run the OFCCP. Uh, we had uh, the last two uh, managers hit the ground uh, running uh, very hard, very fast in uh, uh I would say three, actually, going back to the Bush administration. Uh, you had it there, a district, a region, excuse me, an OSCCP director who had been a federal contractor uh, affirmative action plan manager uh, for a large company, uh, Mid-Atlantic uh, Bell, and uh, used to sit in my National Employment Law Institute affirmative action briefing annually and uh, was studying everything there was about OCCP for years uh, in the back row in the Washington, D.C. I remember him there for years and years Charles and years. Charles James, right? He, Charles James. <laughs> mm-hmm. He knew exactly what to do when he uh, walked in the door. Uh, he was one of three uh, managers of OCCP directors who ever knew what OCCP was and could tell the difference between an affirmative action plan and a telephone book. Uh <laughs> Then came uh, Pat Shu in the Obama administration, and she was very knowledgeable about discrimination law. Uh, she had been an employment lawyer, actually, in uh, the firm I had been in in, in uh, San Francisco, and uh, didn't have to do much study on that. The affirmative action side of the world was new to her, but she had plans in action before she arrived in, in Washington. I had lunch with her a month before she took office and she had it all mapped. She was ready to go spring loaded. And then you had, uh, uh, two different directors, uh, in the, uh, uh, uh Trump administration who knew, uh, what they wanted to do pretty quickly. Uh, they were, uh, both, uh, well-trained in discrimination law, learning about the affirmative action side of the house, uh, but sprang into action rather quickly. And one of the things that's now happened to us all and uh, will continue this year is what seems like silence uh, from OSCCP because uh, Pat Chu in the Obama administration and Craig Lean in the uh, Trump administration uh, published and came up with new uh, policy ideas weekly. Uh, we could barely read all the literature that came out of the Obama administration uh, that we can review was filled with OSCCP stories every week, and uh, we, we could just barely keep up with it all. Uh, and we've gone from that kind of a frenetic pace to a uh, almost quiet that uh, you but see you know, very little published. But you know what, John? I don't think it's Jenny. Because <laughs> Jenny has a civil rights background, a discrimination law background, and an EEOC <laughs> com- uh, chair background, and she's very smart. And I, I thought that she would come right in and do the same thing, as, especially as Pat Shu. Um, but, you know, then we also started kind of expecting Pat Shu's remarks to be presented to her by the White House because there was a lot of control over what they publicly said. I think Jenny is just suffering some of those same types of controls, but those controls now have been elaborated upon. And now that you know, she's. I think she's doing work behind the scenes that maybe we haven't seen yet. But I, I think that just in the times I've met Jenny and talked with her, I, I know she has a lot of ideas, and I know they're going to be working on um, some initiatives for people with disabilities that Craig Lean, I think, started. Um, and they're working very hard behind the scenes, I believe. Um, but I think she's been um, 
not able to voice a lot of her um, ideas publicly because of some of the other things, uh, obviously the the vaccination situation and COVID-19. I think that, I think other things are taking a back seat. I mean, the IRS, <laughs> I mean, if the IRS is taking a back seat, other agencies like the OFCCP are definitely going to. Don't you agree? Yes. And she's basically been under house arrest. Uh, <laughs> uh, OFCCP has always been disliked within the labor department because its main mission at the labor department is employees and unions. The unions don't like uh, OFCCP, never have, because they've always been afraid that OFCCP is going to meddle with uh, seniority. When you try to order retroactive seniority in a discrimination failure to hire case in a unionized environment, they just go nuts. Well, and there you and have so it then, the, Marty Walsh is a huge labor proponent. So, oh, of course. Yeah, so there you it, go. And the Labor Department and Democratic administrations is almost always all about wage hour, wage hour, and wage hour. <laughs> OSHA as a secondary, uh, but close second. But wage hour is considered the rock of Gibraltar and uh, what protects the, the vulnerable population, as they, they call it in uh, uh, the uh, Democrat uh, administrations. Uh, Pat Chu was different. Pat Chu broke the mold in, for Democrat uh, OSCCP directors because she had a direct line to the White House. The chief of staff uh, to President Obama was a personal friend of hers that she knew from uh, Chicago, and he was running the White House policy and was a brilliant, brilliant guy named uh, David Axelrod who plotted the, the whole uh, Democratic course uh, for years. And... Uh, he used Pat as an instrument in that activity. And that was really the first time in modern history we had seen the OSCCP used as a uh, political tool. And I'm going to show you some evidence of it now because it's now the third generation with uh, the Trump administration and now the Biden administration looking at OSCCP less, frankly, as an enforcement agency and more as a political tool to create messaging uh, to the various bases of either the Republican Party or the Democratic uh, Party. Uh, and you'll see that in looking at um, the proposed regulatory agenda uh, that shines light on the major regulatory policies the Biden administration wants to pursue at OCCP in the next 12 months. Let me start with the nearest policy initiative coming up first and then work to those policy initiatives that OSCCP hopes to complete by the end of the fiscal year 2022, which ends on September 30th of 2022. October 1st will begin the new uh, fiscal, fiscal year, year 2023, uh, this coming September 30th, uh, 2022. And we wrote about this on our Week in Review, uh, published uh, Friday, December 13th, right. 2021, uh, and cataloged all five of these initiatives that I'll just uh, briefly mention. mention yeah, I, but you'll see the political uh, issue uh, bleed through here. Right. I I'm, I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. <laughs> I'll throw, I might throw okay. one in myself. So. All right. Well, <clears throat> first they're going to start very soon, they say, in the next month with technical amendments to OCCP's rules, which are long overdue. These are just cleanups to uh, – uh, 
spell the names of the uh, statutes uh, correctly, <laughs> get the uh, jurisdictional thresholds updated, correct uh, the OMB control numbers that have been assigned uh, to allow each of these various pieces of regulation to come to be over the years. Uh, they've got, uh, they want to fix all the pronouns as well. Uh, uh, but, you know, I'll call that a technical cleanup. They're promising that by February of uh, this year. That, uh, that one doesn't. OCCP is running late. Yeah. It will probably be spring. Yeah, and that doesn't really seem to me to be that important. I mean, we've no. lived with it like this for quite a while. The one that I think is is really important and, and a little disconcerting, I think, for the contractor community is their proposed mod- modifications to their PDN rule, the um, predetermination rule. And I, I think that's going to be kind of interesting. I think all of the government contractor community was concerned about the transparency initiative that Craig Lean had put together. And is that going to continue? But, you know, with the PDN rule, you know, it requires OFCCP to to tell the contractor what the alleged violation is and, and give them 15 days to respond and say, you know, no, that's not right. You didn't, you didn't perceive it correctly. This is what's really going on. They can ask for an extension. It's easily extended um, because there's a lot of information. The one concern, I think, is that they don't issue the PDN until it's been to the national office and the national office has signed off on it. So it's one of those things you get it. And I've told all of our members, don't ever try to respond to a PDN on your own. (laughs) You've got to get legal counsel involved because the the likelihood of, of winning and I don't know, John, if you've had situations, but the likelihood of winning is lessened because the national office already has their eyes on it. But thats I think that's one that the contractor community is a little nervous about what might happen with that. Yes, and uh, the concern is that OCCP is going to follow the path of the EEOC of uh, uh, reducing transparency. Exactly. The PDN yeah. rule requires OCCP to write down their allegations that they believe they have evidence to prove against the contractor mm-hmm. and then present that to the contractor, let the contractor respond to it point by point, see the evidence, duplicate, replicate what the uh, economic uh, studies on the other side are as a compensation case or a failure to hire case. A lot of statistics involved, typically, and, the OFCCP and they want to be able to, to replicate that. Right, and the OFCCP has to give them that type of information to say, this is what we did, this is why we say that this is an alleged violation, right? And OCCP is clearly going to pull back on all of that because exactly. they want to play uh, hide-and-seek with uh, what they know and make you think that they know more than they really do. And contractors are going to be very unhappy about this, and OCCP is just going to steamroll them, I fearlessly uh, predict. Uh, The third thing is the prime contractor notification to OCCP of subcontract awards. They're proposing to do that uh, by uh, spring. I think it'll be much later than that, but this will very much upset the subcontractor community and and also prime contractors when the... um, Carter administration tried to do this in uh, 1979, and uh, the, the contractor community went nuts because they did not want to have these uh, uh, prime contractors in the middle of OCCP and using them to drop a dime, in effect, on their subcontractors and cause uh, subcontractors to perhaps not participate in uh, federal subcontracts. 
Uh, this rule is going to backfire on OSCCP if they do go forward with it, though, in my uh, judgment, because what will happen is that many, many more companies that think currently that they are a federal subcontractor will find out that they are not because the definition of subcontractor is very convoluted, but it can be boiled down if one were to read all eight laws. Necessary to, right? Yeah, that's one of the two definitions. But that definition has been narrowed by the case law to mean that you're only necessary to the prime contract or necessary to, to some other federal covered subcontract if it's legally necessary. Not that it's a good idea or it's useful to the project. It has to be mandated by law. An example would be uh, an insurance company providing uh, state law required workers' compensation insurance for the federal contractor, the federal subcontractor to do the work. Or an insurance company that has to issue a bond for, let's say, a construction of a, a federal highway. Uh, that's legally required to have that bond. Uh, so it's only those that are legally required subcontract, which eliminates about 95% of them all. Well, and I think for corporate America, that's going to be very challenging because when I used to do affirmative action planning at my companies and the, the OFCCP would always ask for a copy of your contract. Well, you know, <laughs> you could hardly ever find them and then for exactly and and then each contract if you have several subsidiaries you have locations across the country you know the contracts may be overseen by different individuals you have different subcontractors for each contract trying to come up with a list of subcontractors is going to be next to impossible I mean, finding the contracts well, was next to impossible. Once, once, you do, once you do identify them, then some lawyer, can't be HR, some lawyer is going to have to sit around and parse exactly. which one is a yep. subcontractor meeting OCCP's definition. Exactly. And they got to go read the nine, nine case decisions that inform the answer to that question. But uh, that all potentially lies ahead. Uh, look for that uh, realistically in the summer. Uh, but uh, the uh, fourth one is uh, changing OSCCP record-keeping rules that they say they want to do by September of 2022. You can see they're really backlogged. Uh, this is something they wanted to do in the uh, uh, Trump administration, and uh, it's not a high-priority issue, but they really need to do this if they're going to follow through on the contractor portal, uh, <clears throat> which they're intent on and we'll, we'll talk about. But uh, it, it's going to be uh, uh, reflective here of just how backlogged they are and how understaffed they are that they can't just push this out, you know, six, seven months ago. Uh, finally, here's the one that really reflects on uh, the uh, political control of OCCP through the White House, and that's rescinding certain portions of OCCP's controversial religious exemption rules for federal contractors and subcontractors. Uh, Jenny Yang and the, the president both said within days of mm-hmm. uh, taking office a year ago that the uh, OCCP religious exemption rule would be uh, yanked and reformed. The concern there is uh, uh, from the the, the Democratic Party side of the House, that uh, 
in a collision between a federal contractor exerting uh, religious uh, requirements uh, uh, for dress or for uh, the non-hiring or non-employment of uh, gay, lesbian, and transgender employees that uh, contractors were getting too good a deal in these rules that would allow them to escape the non-discrimination provisions of the executive order 11246. Uh, th- those rules are written to rescind. It's easy to rescind those. Uh, they've already gr- written it probably in the first 30 days they were in office. Why are they holding it until, what, September of 2022? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. Do you have any insight? Well, what's the next month after that and the next month after that? That becomes November of 2022, the election, the elections. Yep. And so they're staging. The White House has programmed this to stage to occur to rally the base for the midterm elections. Uh, And meanwhile, this rule doesn't really play in the real world. There aren't that many federal contractors that claim religious exemptions. It's happened once or twice. Uh, I saw it once in the four years I was helping to run OCCP, uh, but it was a trifle of an issue, uh, easily disposed of, uh, and jurisdiction maintained uh, against that uh, company. Uh, But it's a great political issue. Uh, And so uh, that's why it's being... uh, Uh, especially saved for that moment. That makes sense. That'll be interesting. Well, John, let me ask you this. Do you think that the volume of OFCCP audits will ever return to their their prior normal level? I mean, I think we're, we're seeing just a handful each year. And gosh, when I was doing audits um, from the corporate America side, I would have eight, 10, 12 audits at the same time going on. And, you know, some companies on the CSAO have you know, 10 potential audits, but I don't know many. I, I, a couple of our board members have about 10 or 12 at any given time, but not a, not a multitude of companies. So do you think it'll ever return to normal? Uh, not anytime soon. Uh, it is not because of a lack of, uh, uh, employees. The volume of audits per OSCCP employee and per compliance officer has plummeted. I used to do 7,200 to 7,700 full on-site audits per year when I was helping to run OCCP uh, with audit on-sites that lasted from three to five days two on average. Two people would normally and be there too. <laughs> at least two people, sometimes yeah. four or five. I remember. Uh, and now those are all gone. Uh, what's caused the change was Pat Chu went to a process that we talked deep about dive. at some length in the Week in Review back in uh, the day, uh, uh, the deep dive, deep dredge. Her view was different than Shirley Wilcher's in the Clinton administration, and I thought Shirley really had it right. Uh, Shirley's view was there's always 2% year in and year out, regardless of whether you're Republicans or Democrats, uh, north, south, east, west, so do a lot violation of rates. <laughs> Yep. for discrimination. So if 2% uh, is going to be disc- found uh, with violations, let's just do more audits. 2% of 1,000 is a lot more violations than 2% of 100. So she'd kick the door down, look around. If there wasn't any discrimination, she'd get out. Uh, Pat Chu went the other way. She said, we're missing things. So let's dig deeper. 
And so she told the Congress in her budget reports beginning in 2014 and 2015 that she was going to slow it down. And she did. And now it's at a crawl. With the COVID-19, they're almost doing not doing worse. audit. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. And the audits they've been doing have been the, the, the mini audits, compliance checks, 20, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of OCCP time per audit times 500. They do fewer than 1,000 now uh, per year. Uh, they had 500 compliance checks, uh, I mean, focus reviews, which uh, Jenny Yang uh, banished uh, within the first two months she was in office. Uh, the, the first 500 focus reviews and innovation of the Trump administration, uh, they found only two technical violations total, no discrimination violations, uh, nothing of substance. Uh, yeah. So you're, you're seeing a very, very different auditing profile. There are still, as you say, a lot of the big companies that were caught up and are still fighting Obama-era audits. That's true. And uh, That's true. those audits are still unwinding. Uh, that process will probably complete this year. Uh, we, we may have a 10-year anniversary of, <laughs> of finishing the Obama audits here pretty soon. Yeah, cheers to uh, but it. It's, it's taken a while. Well, I'll but tell you, uh, oh. there's not going to be big uh, volumes. There's not going to be big back pay uh, numbers anytime soon until the philosophy of audit changes and they increase the number of audits per employee. Yeah. Uh, you can't you can't have uh, 400 uh, plus employees and do well, under a thousand audits a year. Well, and then keep in mind the hiring that they're doing. I, I remember I was sent to do my first on-site audit after I only had six months of experience in the affirmative action business. I was scared to death, and it went beautifully, but nonetheless, I was scared to death. And if you've got you know, new employees and you're giving them audits to do, they don't know what they don't know, and they're, they're following the FCCM, which has been updated, but still could stand additional updates. And, you know, that's a difficult challenge for the new compliance officers. So it's, you know, an ongoing problem that they're going to have with all of their hiring that they hope to, to get approved. So let's skip over the audit um, discussion because I've, I've held this last, well, one of, one of my last questions um, based on the biggest news that has come out of the OFCCP and that's the AAP verification project. And there's three key dates that are coming up pretty darn quickly that we just published in our December 6th week in review. So we've got February 1, the portal is open for access registration and that's where OFCCP is intending to send an email to each covered federal government contractor and the email information um, they have available in its system, um, inviting them to register all of their locations, all of their establishments. March 31st, the contractors um, can begin certifying their affirmative action compliance. So they basically have two months to set um, all of their locations up in OFCCP's portal. And I know, John, you've got some clients with like 10,000 plans and 10,000 establishments, so um, God help them. Um, and then by June 30th, all existing contractors must certify whether they have developed and maintained an affirmative action program for each establishment and or functional unit and must affirm that the, the contractor understands that it may not later change its affirmative action plan after certification. 
I met with Jenny Yang about a month or so ago, and I told her that this was a concern um, about not changing your affirmative action plan. I actually suggested that they put some uh, FAQs out to help contractors understand because it's, you know, penalty, it's a federal law to provide false information to any government agent. So, John, based on all of that information, what do you think is going to happen this year with the Affirmative Action Plan portal? Well, Candy, let me start with two things which ought to happen and won't happen. (laughs) Uh, First, they ought to stop the process immediately and go to rulemaking. There's so many uh, wrinkles involved in this thing. And uh, the contractor community needs to have an opportunity to express itself about all of this and uh, help OCCP frame it up uh, properly. But they've rejected that. They told uh, the White House that they were not going to do that. Uh, They're proceeding ahead. The second thing they should do is at least delay uh, this whole process for about another six months while they talk, uh, at least informally, even if you're going to push forward an illegal program, you can talk informally to the contractor community and get some better ideas. You saw the Baltimore ILG uh, that we published in the Week in Review this past week, uh, January 10th, uh, had a lot of technical questions as to contractors across the country, which OSCCP then tried to answer through uh, FAQs. But there's a whole host more of technical issues that people are running into even before they've tried to go online when it opens up uh, in February to uh, create their establishment pages and report uh, data eventually and certifications. Uh, But let's talk about the two things which are going to happen. They are going to open on that schedule. uh, That's their current statement, and I doubt that uh, this close to February 1 that they would uh, uh, suddenly have a change of, of heart Uh, although you hope they would. Uh, Wisdom late is better than wisdom never. Uh, The second thing that's going to happen is that uh, a lot of contractors, uh, based on surveys of the contractor community, are not going to participate. And then OSCCP uh, is going to be in a uh, uh, a dilemma as to what to do with them. If they (laughs) sue them, they will undoubtedly lose that lawsuit because uh, they will have been found to not have gone through the rulemaking process uh, that is required whenever you're going to impose a, uh, a burden on the regulated uh, community. So uh, we'll have to see who plays and who doesn't. And then the end game on all of this, and I think this is confusing to contractors, but I'm not sure why, because when Craig Lean envisioned this, well, Pat Shu envisioned this first uh, in the Obama administration, uh, Craig Lean talked about it and set up the internal infrastructure in the Trump administration. And uh, Jenny Yang then finally pulled the trigger uh, with uh, the, the White House, the Office of Management Budget, in her administration. But they've all said from day one that they were going to use these data uh, not to um, uh, make discrimination findings, but rather to audit, and primarily based on compensation. Uh, They want to use it as a compensation discrimination finding tool. And contractors ought to applaud that because where OCCP makes its money is not in comp. There's very little compensation discrimination that OCCP or uh, any uh, agency has ever found. Uh, It's all about failure to hire. Uh, That's where the money is. 
and that's where contractors have problems, particularly if they have entry-level production labor uh, right. uh, workforces and evergreen jobs. Oh my gosh, that's just a you know it's probably one of our situation. Yeah, that's probably one of our members' biggest questions. Well, let John, let me just say this, um, and it's kind of interesting because I was talking with one of your partners yesterday about um, rulemaking and the OSHA ETS and things like that. And I asked point blank if the Supreme Court doesn't approve that to move forward. He said, well, it will depend upon what their reason for saying that it's not um, appropriate. And if they say it's basically because they didn't go through rulemaking, then OSHA could say, okay, well, we'll go through rulemaking, which you and I have talked about earlier this year that um, some of the other vaccination mandates ran into that same problem and they decided, okay, well, we'll go through rulemaking and then we'll be good. And so interesting, when I, when I spoke with Jenny, she said, and you and I have talked about this as well in the past, that, you know, the OFCCP is saying that they don't have to go through rulemaking because the authority for them to do the verification already exists in the regulations. I know lawyers, other lawyers, because Jenny's a lawyer, I know that, um, other outside attorneys um, don't necessarily agree with that, um, but it will be very interesting in a legal situation if they are forced to go through rulemaking. Um, I think it would be a very interesting um, exercise and see what comments they would receive. So I'm going to skip over that because you know it, it is what it is, and we'll we'll see what happens um, come February one. But let me go ahead and finish with this question, John, since as a leader of direct employers, I know that budget is everything and that bigger budgets mean more success in the marketplace, happier employees, and more productivity. Success basically just begets success. I'm, let me just make it clear. I'm glad I don't have Jenny Yang's budget worries or her budget challenges because, you know, we, we fortunately have come off um, here at DE from a second in a row all-time high year of membership numbers revenue growth, headcount growth, customer services growth. We've been one of those companies that has just succeeded amazingly so um, during this pandemic. And I even complimented all of our employees at our all-staff meeting on Monday that I think our collaboration is at an all-time high. And I think it's it's because you don't see that person sitting next to you that you just really want to argue with. <laughs> you just have to pick up the phone or, or have them see you on Zoom. So I heard yesterday one of our folks um, literally was in an interview. The spouse was in an interview, and they asked him to stand up um, to see what he was wearing, <laughs> if he had, really had a suit on. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So there have been a lot of fun things that have happened during during the pandemic as well. But what do you think is going to happen to OFCC's budget um, and its hopes for a basically a, a third uh, percent increase in its budget and, and the dream of adding additional an additional 188 jobs to their headcount? What do you think? Yeah, they wanted to go up from about 105 million a year to 143 million a year, and uh, as they did with a lot of the federal agencies, but it's not going to happen. As you know, there's a continuing resolution in the Congress right now on the budget for 2022. They still have not settled and uh, landed that budget. A continuing resolution means that they're just continuing the agencies at the prior year's level of funding. Uh, by the way, that's very bad news for an agency. 
Because uh, of the inflation, especially. <laughs> with yeah, the, if you've got uh, uh, any increases in your uh, cost of doing business, and as you know, inflation is raging right now, uh, leasehold expense, uh, payroll, pensions, all those go up about $2 million a year uh, at OSCCP in modern times. Uh, so you do $2 million, what would that buy you? Well, $2 million is almost 20 two zero uh, compliance officers. So if you uh, keep the same budget, you just lost uh, 20 compliance officers. And the way they do that at OSCCP is that they don't fire people. They've got so many open jobs, they just keep lowering their headcount authorization from, let's say, 451 down to 431. And that accounts for the, the loss in budget due to the increase in uh, cost of uh, doing business. Uh, but they're not going to get it. Uh, the likelihood in Washington is that uh, there's still going to be uh, a uh, stalemate on this. Uh, the, the Democrats have punted twice uh, on the budget, and uh, we'll take it up next uh, in February. And the late, great likelihood, based on history, is that you'd never have a third continuing resolution. Usually at that point, uh, the administration realizes that the Congress is not going to play, play ball. And so uh, they just do a continuing resolution for the remainder of the year. Uh, so that will likely happen, in my judgment, but we'll, we'll see. But if they do get a budget, other than a continuing resolution budget, uh, OCCP is not going to get a huge dollop increase, nor is the EEOC. Uh, they're uh, staffing uh, currently against uh, their last budget, and that's going to be probably their their reality, as I say, uh, which is not a great answer for OCCP, but they need to motivate people and they need to uh, work with what they've got uh, and uh, bring those audit numbers up uh, to at least uh, what they would have uh, in, in any normal uh, use of personnel. So okay. I, I think uh, we're going to see a very difficult year for OSCCP. They're going to have to trim sale and not do all the things with the computers and not all the things with people uh, and uh, staffing that they wanted to. And uh, they're also, uh, as a final thought, staffing at the senior levels. They're staffing managers and not compliance <laughs> officers. <laughs> and that's not going to help audit, by the way, right. either, because managers right. don't do audits. And um, I'm not sure why they need that manager structure out in the field anymore, uh, given the ability to work remote. And uh, what they need is worker bees. Uh, they need a lot of those uh, people. I uh, begged the contractor community at the National Industrial Liaison Group annual meeting in Nashville last year to support OSCCP in its mission to try and get more budget. Because I think the agency, and I've said this for almost 15 years now, uh, is too small to run as a standalone sub-agency of the Labor Department. Uh, it's becoming almost uh, what we used to call a bureau, something very tiny that has a, a small defined mission. Uh, but you, you, you need to put some more uh, meat on those bones, uh, and very soon. All right. Well, thanks, John. Um, it's 
another enlightening conversation with you. Um, I think every single one of them is. Um, but we like to end on a fun note with all of our podcasts. And I'm going to give you five rapid-fire question, questions so our listeners can learn just a little bit about what makes you tick. All you have to do is say the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, the best advice you've ever received. Oh, to be cautious and not uh, uh, assume more than you know. Okay, all right. Early to rise or a night owl? Oh, early to rise. I've always gotten up, uh, been on the job by 7 a.m. for decades. Uh, I'm usually up at 4.15 in the morning and in the gym by 5. Wow, okay. Um, If you had the opportunity, would you rather travel to the past or to the future? Oh, absolutely to the past. Uh, I I just think there's so many things fascinating about uh, uh, our history to date. Uh, uh, The the future seems less rich to me. Okay. Street smarts or book smarts? Oh, book smarts. I uh, I (laughs) I could answer that one for you, John. (laughs) But uh, I love to read and I love to absorb and uh, have always been a bookworm. (laughs) All right, this is going to be the toughest question for you of all. You wait till I finish. Chick-fil-A or Diet Dr. Pepper? You can only pick one. (laughs) No, I want the combo. (laughs) I know. I said you needed to listen till I was finished, and you can only pick one. That's a pure Sophie's choice. Uh, You know, (laughs) you you want to pick your your son or your daughter. Oh, my gosh. I'd have to go with Diet Dr. Pepper if I, I were forced to bayonet to a choice. Uh, but uh, hopefully it's Diet Dr. Pepper at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I've been there with you when you've had it, so I know. Well, John, as I said, it's been a real pleasure having you join us today and talk more about what's looming on the horizon for federal con- government contractors. I speak for direct employers and our members when I say we are incredibly thankful for your insight and guidance. If an employer would like to connect with you, what's the best way that they can get in touch? Uh, you can reach me at uh, my phone number, 650-400-2121, or uh, via my email, uh, which is on our Fox Wang Morgan website. If you put that in your browser, uh, we'll pop up. But it's jfox at foxwang, that's W, A as in Apple, N as in Nancy, G as in Go, Fox Wang Morgan, like Captain Morgan, the rum, foxwangmorgan.com. <laughs> yeah, everybody always gets that because, oh, yeah, we know that rum. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the DE Talk podcast. Stay connected with direct employers on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and subscribe to our emails by visiting directemployers.org slash subscribe to receive notifications of new episodes each month.